business process optimization during digital transformation, how to manage digital costs in 2024, and the platform approach to ERP implementations. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover here in episode number 154 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show, as always. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for today's episode. Likewise, I'm excited. We're going to cover a lot of stuff here today. And uh, if you haven't been part of this podcast before, this is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the strategy, people process, and technology components of change. This show is produced by Major Tom Productions and sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And not co- coincidentally, uh, Kyler and I are both part of Third Stage Consulting. So um, you can learn more about us at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can find this podcast at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can look at past episodes. You can watch upcoming episodes as well. Uh, and you can also subscribe to whatever platform you prefer to listen or watch to the podcast. So be sure to check out transformationgroundcontrol.com. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to cover starting off with some audience questions we're going to get to some of the things that have come through social media in terms of questions from the audience we'll get into managing digital transformation costs in 2024 that's going to be one of the hot topics we open up with how to manage digital transformation costs in 2024 as well as 16 business process management best practices to ensure project success those are two of the hot topics we'll cover here and that uh, will be a good segue into our first guest which is uh, tavis addison from volkswagen financial services he's going to be on the show with me to talk about business process optimization and how to optimize business processes during digital transformation. So that'll be a good building upon some of the, the hot topics that we cover related to that topic as well. And then later in the show, we'll have uh, Mitch Otteson on with us to talk about the ERP platform approach um, to digital transformations. And that's part of our 2024 trend series, where we unpack some of the trends to expect and understand in 2024. Um, so we'll have Mitch on the show later to talk about that. So exciting episode with a lot of stuff, especially if you're interested in business process improvement. So that'll be a a good topic for discussion here today. So before we get to some of those topics, so what are some of these uh, questions you have from the audience, Kyler? Absolutely. Um, Well, some great questions this week, as always. You guys do such a great job of giving us some content to talk about. Um, But if you're new here, these questions we pull from Eric's social media as well as Third Stage Consulting Group social media accounts. So you can actually comment anywhere on those accounts and we actually pull them to ask Eric live in the show and have a conversation about them. Also, as our mission to drive conversation around digital transformation, these questions are not just for Eric. So looking to our audience to give us your thoughts, feedback, and insight and really join the conversation around how can we um, create more transparency around digital transformation in our community. So with that, let's get into some of these questions. Um, So you recently did a video about um, the big four, kind of pros and cons and what that looks like. And we had a lot of questions around that. Um, So this one says... 
Do you agree that the big four for accounting firms may tend to promote ERP vendors that they have a unique relationship with rather than suggesting the best option for the client? And how does that impact the quality of ERP solutions recommended to the business? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I would say, uh, yes, I do agree that the big four accounting firms and consulting firms tend to promote ERP vendors that they have unique relationships with. Uh, I'll just say answer it to start with the headline, which is yes, I agree. Uh, reason being is I was part of the big four. We we regularly work with big four consulting firms even now um, as we're helping clients figure out you know how to staff their uh, digital transformations or how to find the right uh, system integrators to uh, manage their to help manage their projects. And uh, you know you just let you have to look at how these these companies have been built. You know the the way that the big four consulting firms have scaled is by a pretty hyper-focused strategy where they they tend to focus on big technologies like SAP, Oracle, maybe Microsoft Dynamics, and in some cases, some of the the smaller vendors have um, you know some some system integrators that are supporting them as well. Maybe not the big four, but other system integrators. And you find that um, generally speaking, um, the the big consulting firms are going to recommend the systems that they have a relationship with that they're going to get some sort of referral or commission fee from, as well as the vendors where they have a big bench of people um, that that they need to staff on projects. So when I was at, at Pricewaterhouse, for example, or PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, starting my career, I was part of the SAP practice. And so we'd go in and do software evaluations. And you can probably guess which uh, software we always recommended. We were always working backwards to figure out how to recommend SAP rather than opening our minds to what is the best technology for this given situation. So I think that does undermine um, the the value or the best interest of, of clients because one answer is oftentimes not the right answer for a lot of organizations. But yet, if you hire one of these firms, you're going to get that bias. And it's not just the big four accounting firms. I don't want to pick them out uh, exclusively because it's really most of the ERP consulting industry was built that way. So you have to be aware that there's a lot of biases in the industry, which is why we started third stage consulting was to be an independent tech agnostic consulting firm that could help navigate some of those biases and do its best for the client's best interest. For sure. Absolutely. And I, I think something you mentioned there that I'll just highlight is we often work alongside the big four on projects um, for specific things. So it really takes a village. That's the mentality of there's room for all kinds of different support on your project. So if you are working with them currently, we're not at all suggesting you should just fire them. We're suggesting that you just make sure that you have um, some piece of independent and a transformation coach that's really on your side, taking you through what all of this means. Um, so I think that's a great question. And there's ways to work with those burger firms to make sure that your um, overall business objectives and technology objectives are achieved. So great question. Um, definitely, we have a lot of big four current partners, big four current um uh, community members that we'd love to hear from in the comments as well. So definitely let us know what your thoughts are around that. Um, I have another question that one of our audience members talked about when it comes to overall um, ERP work streams on one of your business or, or on one of your videos, excuse me. So I'm going to kind of summarize as it's a, a complicated question, but overall it talks about the user access and the accuracy of results. So is there a situation in which restricted access to specific data when looking at an ERP system 
can give you a lack of access to all data to give necessary results. So we're talking here kind of about user levels and navigating those, especially maybe if you're a, a small to mid-tier business where that's never been something that's been in your overall behavior as a workforce before. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's funny you say that because we I'm actually traveling this week as we're recording this podcast in in I'm traveling at a client, one of our bigger clients where they, they went live on a new system this week. And, um, you know, that's one of the, we were looking at the support tickets yesterday that were coming in on day one of go live. And most of them were related to wrong security profiles. So you had a lot of, um, issues at go live where, um, someone wasn't given access to something they needed or a transaction or a report or whatever. So I think that, um, you know, the security, security in general is a good thing, but, you know, you have to protect your data, you have to protect your systems, you have to protect from outside hackers or, or uh, cyber criminals or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you have to do all that stuff. But um, at the same time, you don't want to be so you have to find that right balance where you, you don't want to be so stringent and lock things down so much that you can't, people can't do their jobs. And that's, I think, one of the big challenges that organizations have. So uh, easier said than done. There's definitely art and a science to it, but it is a valid, very valid point you bring up. Absolutely. And and maybe just an, an overall theme of understanding and being mindful that sometimes those go live pieces, they require shifting and optimization afterwards. Um, so it just, you know, it takes a little bit of grace to get all of that in place and understanding that there will be some of those operational challenges to start with, with any new change or new, new technology within the organization. So the last question I'll ask you here, which I think is a very interesting one. This is actually from one of your live streams you did recently with um, our partners at Avero and talking about our 2024 trends. And of course, we had to talk about AI, right? That's obviously the main hot topic and what that looks at. So this, this question actually says, do companies need a successful ERP system before they bring in an AI application? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't think they necessarily do. I, I mean, I think ERP and AI are two different things, even though um, AI is getting embedded into ERP, uh, of course, but um, they are still t different technologies. If anything, I think, you know, doing an ERP system first can, uh, you know, that can, that can take away your, it can be distracting or take away or undermine your, your focus on AI uh, because ERP projects are so big by definition. Um, but I, I will say, you know, there's other things that you want to do prior to AI, like having clean data and having accurate data, reliable data, good data governance, data management processes, all that stuff is really important because the AI models will only be as good as, as the data you have. So I think there is some value to that for some organizations and ERP implementation might help enable that data cleanliness and that sort of thing. But for other organizations, it could be that's just too much to try and do all that all at once. So I think it depends on what your priorities are, but uh, there's a couple of different paths you can take in that, in that approach. Definitely. And it depends question for sure. And the reason I left this one for last was because I, I think fundamentally it gets to the core of what we're going to talk about today is just healthy operational practices, business practices to ensure that if you are looking at emerging technologies or an ERP system in general, the pre-work to that is really making sure that you have healthy processes. Um, so I think it's a good kind of transition to some of the hot topics we're going to get to here in a minute, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to we're going to cover uh, some hot topics related to managing digital transformation costs in 2024. So stick around for that. And we're also going to talk about 16 business process management best practices to ensure project success. So those will be two of the topics we cover here after a quick break. 
And then stick around too, because later in the show, we'll have uh, Tavis Addison from Volkswagen Financial Services will be on the show. He's a director of process optimization at Volkswagen Financial Services for North America. And he's going to be on with me to talk about um, keys to process optimization during a digital transformation. So we'll talk about the whole thread of process management, process optimization, process improvement, all that stuff as it relates to your technology initiatives. And then finally, later in the show, we'll have Mitch Otteson on to talk about the ERP platform approach and one of the trends we're seeing for 2024 and beyond, which is platforms instead of ERP applications and how to navigate that decision point and find the right strategy for you. So be sure to stick around for that because we're going to talk about that later in the show as well. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see past episodes of the show as well. You can listen and watch uh, to, on whatever platform you'd like by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. So thank you for being here today. We've got uh, some more hot topics, or actually we're going to jump into some of the hot topics you've got for us here uh, today. We're going to talk about managing digital transformation costs in 24 in 2024, as well as business process management best practices to ensure success. So what have you got for us here today, Kyler? Absolutely. Well, we talk about um, understanding the cost, the total cost of ownership, and the importance of managing to budget and timeline for digital transformation projects a lot. We also give you a lot of um, examples of what can happen from a financial standpoint, operational disruption, ROI dollars loss standpoint when it comes to failures in the space and how impactful those can be. So one thing I wanted to talk to today and to kind of give a setting to this, we are starting to get global projections for spending on digital transformation in 2024. Um, and this study specifically says 2.5 trillion with a T, I feel like we're just making up numbers at this point, <laughs> um, is going to be spent on digital transformations in 2024. So really that effective budget management is critical um, for the amount of money that's actually going into this from an enterprise standpoint. So this study talks about areas in which you can cut costs or be more kind of lean focused on cost effective management. And a lot of this goes into open source, looking at open source or modular based um, ERP options or enterprise tech options. Um, and it talks about how open source software is really a cost effective option because you can add and um, remove whatever is most valuable to your business, but also the low code software to really bridge the IT skill gap and the labor shortage that we know is a real thing in the industry space right now. And something I wanted to do with you, Eric, was just kind of a quick like fact check on this. 
Because from our understanding, a lot of times, low-code software, though, is a really great option for some business, really involves a lot of IT maintenance or understanding through integration and internal competencies. So I don't know that bridging the skills gap or the IT labor shortage might be something that might be kind of a a bias consideration when looking at a no-code software. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your overall um, kind of devil's advocate opinion around is open source or low-code, no-code software a silver bullet when it comes to cost savings or are there considerations that you really need to be aware of? Yeah, I think um, open source systems um, in general, you know, there's some value to them. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think there is the cost savings isn't as significant as it used to be because a lot of these open source vendors like uh, on the ERP side, like Odoo and ERP Next, for example, um, they've become pretty mainstream commercialized standalone businesses, which is great. I mean, that's why 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 we start businesses is to make them successful. And um, so it's understandable. But what, what's happened is they've, they've sort of converged with the mainstream ERP market in some ways in the way they do the pricing. And I will say they're some of these open source vendors are a lot more flexible and provide a lot of uh, modularity to their solutions that other vendors don't. So it can be sort of a lower short-term cost and a lower risk way to try the solutions of the platforms. Um, so I think, um, you know, you look at, for example, I, I know Adoo is a good example. They, they provide free, like a free trial version of the BRP system, of this BRP software, which most vendors don't do. So that could be, not that you expect it for the platform to be free long-term, but at least it's a way to try it on a lower low risk basis. So um, yeah, there are, there are some advantages there, um, but you know, you also have some limitations with open source too, where um, there, you, a lot of times you're going to, if you're a bigger organization, it's not going to give you the robust flexibility or the robust, the robust functionality that you're looking for across a diverse complex enterprise. So it just depends on what, you know, what kind of organization you are and what your needs are. Absolutely. Um, and, and understanding, I think the biggest piece of this overall study is understanding those important needs and then also reviewing kind of what your current state is. How many applications are you currently using? Where are your integration points? What are what are your processes? And, and those pieces really need to be kind of in a strong foundational awareness before you're able to, to pick a new um, technology. So just considerations there when it looks to to that. So let's move into our 16 best practices for business process management. And I won't make you go through all 16, I promise, because um, a lot of them are, are pretty technical. and I know our audience knows a lot about that. But some things I wanted to really highlight is um, one of the, the best practices talks about integration of multiple disciplines, which I think is really healthy. When we look at the integration of various process-centric approaches, such as Lean Six Sigma, ProSci, Agile, all of those different things, um, I wanted to bring to the table the importance of having variety in those disciplines when you're looking at your business process management. Do you think that that's something that you should prioritize as a business? Is looking at the the diversity you mean yes yes yeah yeah i I do um you know being able to to look at the entire scope and impact of processes and process improvement is really important so in other words it's you know there's you always hear people say people process technology that's a starting point of um looking at how the processes affect the people and if you change the processes how does that affect the people 
um, the technology itself, what, what sorts of automation or technologies can, can you put in place to optimize the processes and then obviously the processes themselves. Um, you also want to make sure the process improvements are aligned with your priorities as an organization, that you you have a clear strategy of how process and automation fits in with, um, or how business processes fit in or integrate with some of these other work streams like technology, change management, et cetera. So um, those are just a, a few things. But I think, um, you know, when you talk about process improvement, process optimization, you're inevitably touching a lot of different disciplines, uh, to your point. And I know you encourage our team here to get a variety of these certifications because it kind of gives you that innovation and different ways of looking at things, which is our job here at Third Stage. Is that something you would recommend for maybe a, a, a someone who's trying to break into the field um, to look at a variety of those different certifications to kind of get a, a foundation on what they can do as far as either consultant work or business process management work? Yeah, and I'd just take that comment i agree with you i take that comment to even a step further and say if you're uh you know if your focus is on the technology side let's say yeah it can be very powerful for you to augment that deep technical experience with something like a pmp certification for project management or uh process certification for change management or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. if you can look outside your core discipline that you specialize in just to get a broader view I think that's just going to help you. And of course, when you start in your career, you have to have some special specialization or focus. So you don't want to try to boil the ocean, you know, on day one of your career, in whatever direction you go. But over time, you want to start, if you can start to round out your skill set to have that bigger picture view, you're just going to be better at whatever it is you focus on. If you focus on technology and you can be better at change management or program management or process improvement or whatever, um, it's just going to make you a better technologist. And the same is true if you're a process improvement expert to learn something about change management, about technology, you know, it's just going to round out your skill set and give you a bigger picture view. So I think that all those different kinds of certifications and the diversity of that certification and training and education and just upskilling yourself is very, very important. Yeah. And, and speaking of upskilling and a diversification of ideas, the rest of this episode is really a great opportunity to not only get a foundational piece for business process management and some best practices, but also look ahead of what we're looking at as far as the industry for 2024. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll dive into business process management in a lot more detail here with our, with our first guest. He's going to be Tavis Addison, who's the uh, director of business process optimization at Volkswagen Financial Services. So he's never been on the podcast before. He's someone I've known for some time, but um, it, it's going to be good to have someone from the industry that's doing this day-to-day -day in the trenches for their organization, some process optimization work. We'll, we'll learn some lessons from him on how to navigate um, some of those process optimization work streams. And then later we'll have Mitch Otteson from the third stage consulting team on the show who's going to talk about the ERP platform approach, which is uh, the trend towards more platform uh platforms versus applications. And that's part of our 2024 trend series where we, we dive into and unpack some of the, the trends of 2024 within the world of technology and digital transformation. So stick around. We've got a couple of great segments coming up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. 
Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can uh, also look at past episodes or listen to past episodes, watch past episodes on that same website. So check it out at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, excited for our next guest, who's a first, first time guest on the show. Uh, his name is Tavis Addison who is a director of process optimization, business process optimization at Volkswagen Financial Services. Um, he uh, manages a team of people that help optimize business processes within his organization. So it'll be interesting to hear his perspective on business process optimization and the keys to process optimization and how that sort of process work fits in within a digital transformation. So that's what we're going to talk about here today. With all that being said, Tavis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. It's exciting and uh, it's fun to talk to you in this this sort of format uh, here today. Um, we've known each other for a while, but we've never had this sort of a, a live discussion before. So this is, this will be a fun, fun topic. Um, before we get into some of the questions, I'll maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and, and then I'll ask you to shift gears and talk about what you do at, at Volkswagen Credit. Thank you. Well, I, I'll tell you, my, my background is plain and simple. Uh, a lot of the same thing over and over again for a little bit over 25 plus years. Uh, started my career managing several several contact centers uh, very early in my career. Uh, and then shortly after that uh, with APAC, uh, which is an outsourcer, uh, I joined Allstate and then Allstate Financial. So I spent a lot of time in Allstate, uh, almost a decade, focusing on converting manual uh, to automated solutions, everything from uh, making sure that we're prepared for F SEC audits uh, to how can we do a better job of, of moving mutual funds, you know, making those experiences more modern. Uh, and then after that, I, I spent another 10 years or, uh, with Discover Network. So in Discover Network, I helped establish the Lean Center of Excellence there. Uh, again, doing a lot of the same things. That's where I introduced uh, IBM Blueworks Live to the organization, moving us from dynamic uh, to dynamic, excuse me, from static mapping. Uh, and then now I am with Volkswagen Financial Services. It's been a great ride for uh, going on six years this year. Uh, I am the head of business process optimization for North America, uh, for the North America region now, uh, as of uh, another year ago. Uh, and I have responsibility for optimizing processes uh, for U US, Canada, as well as strategic alignment for Mexico. Okay, great. So in your role, I guess, um, just to maybe understand your background a little bit in your role at Volkswagen Financial Services, is it a, is it a, tell us a little bit about the organization itself, this process optimization organization. Is it part of a broader technology group or an operations group, or how does this process group fit within the overall structure of the company? Well, we actually sit uh, within what we call customer engagement uh, and customer engagement is, is, you know, where the bread and butter is, right? All the, the contracts uh, where the loans are originated, our, our customers 
uh, are served and it's, it's highly operational. Uh, my team is a small team of 11 and uh, we focus less on the number of us, but more so on the skill set. So uh, my team actually supports not only operations, but we also support back office. So we support the front office and the back office. Uh, we have a technology stack that we leverage specifically around workflow automation solutions. Uh, but I always give significant credit to my process specialists. Uh, that is to me where the 80-20 sits. Uh, their role uh, and purpose is to discover process, most of the time unstructured, uh, bring that to a high uh, process visibility. Uh, regardless of our customer, our customers are typically internal, but at the end of the day, uh, our goal is, is to establish models uh, across the organization that people can follow. Uh, number two, we also teach lean. Uh, so we're also the, the internal uh, sort of, um, you know, academic uh, pod. And then outside of that, our whole focus is on acceleration, accelerating us from where we are today uh, and where we need to be tomorrow uh, in terms of how do we actually keep costs down in terms of being able to operate and optimizing how we do that. Yeah, no, it sounds interesting. And, and I'm sure at a larger organization that's more established, I would imagine there's mature processes mm -hmm. that are ripe for improvement and looking at ways to Absolutely. Cha change the way things have always been. Yes. And always. we want to get, we'll get to some of that change management piece of it too, especially as you deal with tenured employees and tenured mature processes. And we'll, we'll want to make sure to uncover that here in a minute. but. Maybe just to start to set the context then of this whole topic of process optimization, why do you think process optimization and what you do is so important, especially if, if an organization is undertaking some sort of technology initiative? You know, I think optimization is so important uh, because you can spend a lot of time uh, putting technology on a broken process. Uh, and that is the, the biggest waste. Uh, my team uh, and the organization, we have a, a high priority on process visibility. Uh, and it's something that I'll, I'll continuously talk about. And if anybody knows me, that is always the start. Uh, being able to see the as is and then determine where you want to go first. And it, it's not as simple as understanding the steps, but it, it's more about understanding the connected systems, uh, understanding what is the expected outcome of where you're trying to go. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, why is it so important is because you just do not want to place a lot of cost and time on processes that are not ready for it. Um, and, and that's where you lose trust. And then the next time you have a great idea, you're, you're crying wolf. Uh, it's, it's very hard to, to move on to the next big thing if you if you weren't successful the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes makes a lot of sense. So you you don't want to lose that momentum and that just overall direction you start on by derailing it with sort of broken processes that can't support uh, the new technology. Absolutely. So I think you sort of answered it, but I'll, maybe I'll ask it more explicitly. Um, but I think you, you, you sort of touched on this here in your previous response, but when you're going through a technology initiative, which do you think should come first then the business process optimization or the technology? In other words, you know, a lot of software vendors will say, Hey, don't worry about this uh, current state. Don't worry about your, processes, our technology will drive the process improvements for you. So let's start with the technology that'll drive the process improvements. And then there's mm -hmm. the other school of thought that says, let's start with processes first, figure out how we want them to look, how we want to improve them, then figure out how technology fits on top. So where do you stand in that whole debate or that whole continuum of, of the argument? 
Yeah. Well, I'll say the the very popular it depends. And I don't think there's there's a, a one way. Uh, we operate under a, a certain term called pull forwards, as well as uh, the agile approach. So you've got three approaches, right? I think the old approach is waterfall. Let's improve the process and, uh, you know, to the T. Uh, but by that time, technology is moving so fast, you know, your technology solution is could be quickly outdated. Uh, so what we focus on first is, is how can I deliver a little bit of value faster so the process doesn't have to be optimized or improved. Uh, it may still have some defects. Your, your process uh, may not be as fast as you want it to, but you know, maybe you have 10 steps that are unnecessary. You know, maybe you don't need a two eyes approach on everything anymore if you can apply a small set of automation there while you go. So I think it, 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 it really comes down to it depends. And I think if you focus on process visibility, you understand your process costs and you uh, live by a model that gives you a baseline that you can follow uh, mm -hmm. in terms of if I automate these three steps, this is the return I'm going to get. And then I'll focus on the rest later. So I think it depends. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I think uh, a lot of times, too, what I've seen is a lot of times if you've got a like a really broken process or a process that you really want to overhaul as part of a growth strategy or an improvement strategy, um, you want to take the time to do that rather than just rushing out to find the technology first. But if it's a, a process that's more of an incremental improvement or it's a more of a vanilla process that maybe you could just sort of defer to how the technology handles it out of the box or any sort of technology might handle a, a given solution, it seems as though in those cases, maybe that's where you lead. You could lead with technology more than you lead with process. But uh, I think it's, you're right. It depends on the process, I, I imagine, and, and how important that business process is to your overall growth and improvement strategy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And you, and you always have to take risk in perspective. Uh, we, we follow a, a scoring model uh, that we established here uh, at VWFS years ago. It, it gives us an ability to uh, follow a, a predictive model that says, you know, pretty much in layman terms, if I do this, then therefore... Uh, I'm in the the realm of avoiding uh, a certain amount of cost, and that gives us a gauge, and that's how we rank uh, what we what we're going to do first, second, third, all the way to 99. Uh, and there may be a confidence level that comes out of it. You know, we're 60% confidence when we don't know anything, and then we raise that confidence from there as we uh, analyze more. But at the end of the day, uh, I think what you're referring to, Eric, is when you're touching core systems. Uh, then throwing technology at a core system uh, that poses great risk if you're wrong, um, I would strongly recommend at that point that you must optimize first. It, mm. And I always go by the term, uh, I'll never forget, I can't remember who the presenter was, but he was uh, the lead of uh, Lean uh, many, many years ago uh, at Kraft before they broke off. And he came up with the term good enough. Mm. And I, I still... Uh, manage all my teams and work with all my peers the same way is once we get to a point of good enough, it's, it's time to move forward and start going after the value. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. What do you, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges with, with process optimization? You know what? It, it, I think this is, I'm preaching to the choir on this one, right? Uh, number one, change, change management. Uh, and I'm not talking about the change where, uh, you're communicating what the changes are. Uh, and right. I think a lot of times we get mixed up on which change management are, are we referring to. 
I'm a, I'm a ProSci fan. You know, I've I certified with ProSci uh, many years ago, and uh, I have many certifications. And I always say one of the the, the best certifications, most useful uh, experiences I've had uh, was with ProSci. I think, and I know at the same time that uh, it doesn't matter if two plus two is four that does not mean that the business is going to sign off and buy in and move forward. And in today's world, uh, we are applying new technologies with people who were working without any technology, right? The, the more tenured they are, uh, the harder it is to get them to trust automation. Uh, and then the second one uh, I strongly believe is that you, you need to start with the baseline. I think uh, a lot of times uh, it's the right thing to do uh, it makes sense. It, it's going to satisfy the customer. Well, what's the return on investment? And if you're going to spend money uh, on technology, start first with what is it costing us today to do business the way that we're doing it? And the more times you can uh, express in a fact-based approach, uh, the return on investment and follow that model that your, 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 uh, your controlling or finance department uh, can get behind they know how you got to the number, uh, they know how you're gonna deliver and they can measure it afterward. The more times you can do that, uh, I think it will it will uh, embed trust and, and your journey will be much more successful. That, that's what I've found, but uh, change is, is tough and making sure that you got a model in place where you can uh, be a bit predictive in your ROI is key. Right, yeah, great. Great advice. I'd be curious to hear from the audience too, what you think the biggest challenge to process optimization is. So if you just drop in the chat, I'd be curious to see how, how the, how you all respond. You know, what do you think is the most difficult thing? Is it change management? Is there some other aspect to it um, that you think is the most difficult? We're here with Tavis Addison from Volkswagen Financial Services talking about the keys to business process optimization during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to continue the conversation, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also listen to and watch past episodes of the show. So check it out at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, we're here in the midst of a conversation with Tavis Addison, who's a Director of Process Improvement at Volkswagen Financial Services for North America. Uh, we're going to jump back into the conversation. We've got a lot more to get to, so let's jump back into it. Here's a, one comment that just came in to, in response to my question of what what uh, what is the hardest part of business process optimization or business process management? And Kyler on LinkedIn says the biggest challenge to business process management is people. So she agrees with you on on that, Tavis, which is which is uh, interesting. Um, here's a here's a question um, for you, Tavis, for, uh, also from Kyler on LinkedIn. She asks, "What are some of the most common process challenges in organizations you support?" So you know, in the scope of the work you're doing 
at Volkswagen Financial Services. What are, you know, what are some of the common process challenges or maybe a couple examples that you could, you could share with us? Yeah. Uh, in general, uh, generically, I'll speak, you know, which I think is very normal, right, is, is the manual. And uh, when we, you, you know, we have uh, over 63 uh, RPA automations that are running uh, pretty much consistently. And uh, while it's, it's a lot to manage, but it's only a few people to manage that, right? And it's doing the work of many people. Uh, the good, the benefit of that is, is that we can see what the bots are doing. We can see how they're performing. We can see when they stop working, right? The challenge is, is in the back office piece when you need people. Uh, and we, in, in our organization, you know, there's a lot of decisioning that, that takes place. So there's intelligence that we don't have the automation for uh, and where the processes or the procedures uh, that live within the processes are very tough to see. And COVID blinded us, right? It, 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 you know, a lot of companies were not ready for COVID uh, to say, now I can't observe you. I can't gimba the process as easily as I could before. Uh, and not everyone has process mining. So the challenges right. I think that we face the most uh, or that take up most of our time and material are uh, procedure steps that require a human decision uh, where it's difficult to observe how they make those decisions and how we model those decisions in a way uh, where we can then automate those decisions. And that's really where the next journey is, right? That's that's really where AI is coming into, into the foreplay. Uh, but uh, when we think transactional uh, and when we are trying to make uh, predictive, uh, predictive statements in regards to pricing and, and predictive statements in regards to uh, what do we do next? I think those are some of the most difficult process challenges that you can have. Uh, and then one last one I think is, is really uh, around the attended vibe. Uh, so when you're uh, working with a, a group, a, a particular department, and their uh, journey is to now work with automation, but those individuals have been with the company for a very long time, and they're experts at what they do, they're great at what they do, uh, but now you're introducing automation, and you want them to trust the automation, mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult. So it's it's a mindset. Uh, to get them beyond. And I think that's where a lot of your energy is spent. The automation is fine. It's running and saying, hey, look, I've processed 20,000. What's next? But right. when it comes to the people side of it, um, it, it's a lot of repetitive conversations uh, over the data. And if you can get them to start believing in the data, uh, things start to roll downhill. Yeah. You know, it, it just starts to go real fast. And then now they, they want more. They want more. They want more. Yeah, yeah kind of along the same lines of what you were just saying. Here's a follow-up question from Ryan on LinkedIn. Um, he says, with the emergence of tech like AI, machine learning, Internet of Things, blockchain, et cetera, how do you attempt to remain current without overshooting and relying too much on technology? Wow, that's, that's a good one. Um, it is good. I, I will say that there are there are some times, and, and you know, our, our uh, platform we leverage is UiPath, and... Uh, for UiPath, I mean, the support has been been amazing in regards to uh, the, literally the on-the-ground support for, for the platform. Uh, what I will say is, is that uh, you, you could have the tendency to be the lead or you can be the fast follower. 
And for us, uh, it feels like we have been the lead on some uh, some of the uh, new technologies. I'll, I'll just bring up machine learning, for example. We we have a very robust machine learning automation that runs today that helps us to uh, audit. And uh, it's very accurate. You can see how accurate it is. Uh, you can teach it and it will learn over time. Uh, the challenge is, is that you don't always want to go for the, the shiny new thing. And I think that's where the, where the question may be, be, be coming to as well, is that um, you don't want to rely too much on automation until you know more, right? Just like with any, any new drug that comes out, right? Some people will rush uh, towards the drug and some people will wait. And I, I would encourage everyone to, um, you know, implement, try it, measure it over time uh, and see what contributions it brings. But I think uh, the path forward in terms of ML and AI uh, is, is proven. And to me, my, uh, my model is always this. I can see what the automation is doing. It's very difficult for me to see what people are doing. So I'm gonna place my bets on automation nine times out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, very interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's good stuff for sure. And in, in a um, interesting of that intersection because you mentioned uh, AI earlier as well. You know how it, some of these technologies are creating so many good opportunities, um, but at the same time, you don't want to get so far ahead on the technology that your processes can't keep up with it too. Like like right. you mentioned before. Um, here's a, a another thought I had or another question is is around. Um, you, you talked about change management earlier and how change management is is a difficult component of process optimization. How have you seen, and you also talked a little bit about ProSci and, and sort of having a structured framework for um, for the change management side of things, but how do you see the two fitting together, the two disciplines of change management and process optimization? How do they intersect or how do you see them working in concert? It, it, it truly, it's your, well, first of all, um, depending on how your organization is, is built, uh, you need a consultant. I, I really believe that uh, we talk about the workforce today and you have people who are remote and you have the term hybrid. That means that sometimes I'll go into the office, sometimes I'm, you know, sometimes I'm remote. That's our new world today. I apply that same approach uh, and classification to the type of employee you need in order to be successful. So you need a hybrid sort of skill set now, right? That your employee is now a hybrid employee. I can both uh, influence without authority because a lot of these resources, they don't own the process. It's, it's up to us uh, to garner the trust from the business, the process owner. It is, us, it is up to us to make sure that we are data stewards and we understand how that data is important to that customer or that business partner. Uh, but at the same time, the other side of us, we need to be a bit technical now. And that's the employee that I'm looking for. And right now, I think one of the challenges are is that the resources that we have, the people who are experts at the business, who, who understand your business, uh, have to grow. They have to either adopt those skill sets or you have to go find people who, who have those skill sets. And I think that's how they work together. It, it's magical to be able to send uh, one of your resources in that can both influence without authority. At the same time, they can also talk technical. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, makes makes total sense. Yeah, and that's a that's a key thing there too. Is that I have you found in your career that process and change practitioners or uh, experts are sort of siloed in their thinking in terms of how you treat one or the other, or have you seen it sort of come together pretty well, you know, with, you know, your team or with others that you've worked with throughout your career? Yeah, I would say boldly, it does not come together very well. Right. Uh, it, you could have, you could be the one, in, the one in the room and you have the right answer. You could be Albert Einstein's uh, grandson. And mathematically, you have absolutely the right answer. Someone sitting across from you uh, who may understand the business uh, more or have been there longer uh, has uh, a number of reasons on why not. Hmm. Without uh, a, a mathematical reason or, or without a database statement. Uh, and a lot of times the nature in us as people will say, I, you know what? We're going to delay that. We're, 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 we don't want to do that right now. Uh, and I think that is the the, the, the difference in um, the younger generation. Right. I don't know which Gen O or whatever you, you want to call them. Right. Uh, even even my daughter. Right. You know, when I'm looking at my uh, this was like a couple of years ago and I'm typing in, in, in Google where, you know, where we're going to go and put it in navigation. And she says to me, like, why are you you typing? Like, what do you do? And I thought you were the automation guy. You know, so right. she looks at it as it's slow for me to type in the restaurant that we're going to go to and then put it in navigation. From her perspective, she just wants to say it. Yeah. And those are the employees of the new. Those are the employees in the future. So that change resistance will go down over time because of the employees, because of the new workforce. I don't think resistance is ever going to go away. Uh, I just love the fact that the the new way of thinking, the resistance is against the old way, which yeah. is which is amazing, right? But how long will it take us to get there? It's, it's going to be a while. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I never really thought of it until you said it in that context or in that perspective of how maybe the change management challenges shift from future states and process improvements. Cause we always talk about change management. If you change your process, it's going to create resistance. How do you overcome that? But what you're saying is sort of flipping that on its head and saying, well, actually over time, you're going to see more resistance to the way things are because you've got broken processes or you've got, Absolutely. you're still using that. Uh, do you remember the, the green screen mainframe interface? Oh my where goodness. You, type in the little <laughs> transaction code you had to memorize the transaction code to go to that one screen because you didn't have a graphical user interface yeah so imagine your daughter or any you know young professional coming up in the workforce and and that's the system you put in front of them it's just oh, man. it's gonna be like learning a foreign language for them they're they're not gonna understand right they'll be a, i'll pass I'll, I'll i'll look at the next employer right yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah i'll go work somewhere else if this is what i'm gonna have to deal with here absolutely we're here with Tavis Addison from Volkswagen Financial Services talking about the keys to business process optimization during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to continue the conversation, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also listen to and watch past episodes of the show. So check it out at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, we're here in the midst of a conversation with Tavis Addison, who's a director of process improvement at Volkswagen Financial Services for North America. Uh, we're going to jump back into the conversation. We've got a lot more to get to, so let's jump back into it. And I suppose for a uh, you know, do you see that for organizations like like your own at, at Volkswagen Financial Services, ones that have been around for a long time, you spent decades investing in processes and technologies that are now presumably outdated. Do you see that that call it maturity of processes and the tenure of employees and just sort of the fact that these processes are all baked into the organization over time? Does that make change more difficult or, or how does that affect your process optimization efforts? I think naturally, regardless of, of the, the type of company you work for, the sector, uh, the bigger the ship, the longer it takes to turn it around, right? Uh, if I've got a small boat, then I'm going to turn around much faster than you will. Uh, but, the, but if I've got a cruiser, you know, I've got a cruise ship with a thousand people, uh, it, it's not going to turn. You know, Volkswagen Financial Services, you know, uh, we are, you know, we're part of the, the bigger the bigger group, right? We're part of Volkswagen Group America, and it's huge, right? Uh, and the, you know, we try our best in the U.S. to align uh, with what the the group is doing as well. So there's lots of benefit in that as well. Uh, we have other countries that we can we can country leaders that we can reach out to uh, that are testing other systems and other technologies. Uh, we can get very rich. Uh, you know, data inputs and experiences uh, just from within Volkswagen itself. Uh, when you think about core systems, right? So there are certain core systems that are implemented that, that we will all follow and we will all adopt, you know, as, as a conglomerate. Now, then it becomes very difficult. Now, uh, the pace of change for something that could have taken uh, anywhere from six to nine months um, takes several years. Mm. And even with Volkswagen Financial Services, uh, where I work for, for the U.S., right, it's it's over a thousand employees. We service over a thousand dealers. Uh, we've got about 1.6 million active retail contracts, right? 47 markets. So uh, change uh, moves much faster always with, 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 with two things. It's, it always goes back to return on investment, uh, and is it predictive? And then two, you know, it, it's all about the ability to influence uh, that leader. And what are you bringing to the table to influence that that leader uh, on why we should? And usually it comes down to revenue or cost avoidance, which that's another one I think is shifting, right? You know, 
the there's so many com competitors out there, even with technology today. Uh, but if you can avoid cost, if you can avoid fines, if you can avoid slaps on the wrist, uh, that I, I believe is coming to the forefront now. And I think that's why lean practitioners are probably becoming more popular now. Centers of excellence are kind of reemerging now uh, because we need to be protected with so much technology, with so much cloud. Uh, now you need people who can get under the hood and ensure that you're protected. Right. Yeah. Makes makes total sense. Um, going back to um, when we were talking about change management just a moment ago, um, here's a question from Kyler on LinkedIn. She had a follow up to that, which is you should should it be that upskilling is a core change management strategy for organizations that want to improve their processes? A absolutely. Um, without a doubt, that's a that's a strong yes. Uh, I I wouldn't depend on just uh, going out and purchasing the upskilling or or requiring the training, even though that definitely, if you can do it, do it. Uh, one of the things that we we try to do is is you know things like this, you know, working with uh, you working with you, Eric, and and, and talking to uh, the industry experts who have that that rich understanding of multiple companies of what they're doing. Many times, and I and I don't want to speak for certain companies, but there's a very large company, right, that focuses more on connecting with what other companies are doing and, and, and networking with other uh, experts in the industry than they do outside training. And it works. But the upskilling point to the question is absolutely you, you have to you have to upskill just like it's, it's kind of like saying um, I need a new uh, I need a new uh, platform because people don't want to go into the bank and wait for cash anymore. They want to go to an ATM, right? Um, people thought yeah. that that would never happen. And people thought people, uh, would, we would never buy off the internet. If you, if you date back as old as I am, right. That no one's going to shop on the internet, right. For Christmas and all that. We're just going to keep going in. Well, it's the reverse. It's the same thing right. with people. Technology is going to continue to move so fast that if your people stay where they are, they're going to be ineffective or it's going to take you two to three times longer uh, to get things done than, than the A customer and, and no, I'm sorry, the, the A competitor and the B competitor. So upskilling right. is absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, makes sense. I agree with you on that. There's a question from um, Andres on YouTube. Andres says, from my experience, many operations managers want to fix existing processes rather than working on reengineering or other drastic improvements. How much energy do you devote to in evangelism? And then it cuts off here and continues with, instead of already working on improvement. So Man, maybe start with is, a, You know, I, I would say that that one is, that's, that's a difficult one for me to answer, honestly. Uh, it is that question right there, I believe, uh, whomever comes up with the magic bullet for that one is, uh, should go and teach. Uh, because you have that problem, that thorn in the side, you know, whether that is, uh, you know, I am continuously making errors and it's costing me and I have a monthly cost that is it's hitting me. Uh, typically, you want to go in and you want to surgically look at specific steps to improve that part of the process. But on the other hand, there's always someone in the room going back to where that question comes from that says, why don't we just look at the entire process and just do this differently? 
let's let's fix the whole thing instead of pieces by pieces. And that's the challenge for my team. Um, we're not a very big team, so we're always uh, balancing or having to uh, pick, which which doesn't sound good, but we have to to pick which one are we going to go after when when we know that the process itself needs an overhaul. Yeah. Yeah. And you also have to balance, I suppose, the, the momentum and support for certain types of process improvement. So in other words, if you, you know, if you can get management buy-in to do some incremental improvements and maybe you can't get their buy-in or excitement over doing a massive overhaul, you know, you sort of have to not pick your poison, but you sort of have to decide, well, do I, fight an uphill battle and, and work a little bit harder and longer to build momentum or try building momentum for something that's not there? Or do I ride the wave of momentum that already exists with wanting to make more incremental improvements? Do you, do you see that dynamic or, or is that a strategy you've, you've had to navigate in your, uh, in your organization? That's Monday through Friday, man. That that's <laughs> what you just said is Monday through Friday. And I, I would say the, 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 the cloud that's over you at the end of the day, um, is what are you delivering on an annual basis, uh, which uh, which allows you a little bit of a wiggle room, uh, and the the redesigns uh, that take longer uh, produce results. Uh, it takes longer to see those results. The results may be longer and more sustainable, uh, but it does come back to uh, what are you required to deliver uh, in 2024, and that's what you have to balance it against. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other question I had for you here. Whoops. I just lost my have a little technical issue here. Bear with me. Um, what's when you look at technologies that can help uh, automate or, or not automate, but, but help enable business process optimization. So when you look at technologies like RPA or business process mining, et cetera, what are there certain types of technologies and you've alluded to a couple as well uh, throughout this conversation, but what, what sort of process optimization or process improvement sorts of technologies are you most excited about right now? There's one big one. And I think everybody's excited about it. That is AI. Uh, why AI uh, for me, uh, we we've done so much of RPA that, uh, you know, it's almost to the point where we're trying not to say RPA anymore. Uh, right. RPA is, is, is something that, you know, I, you know, thank, thank goodness for my team. They're, they're a team that works tirelessly. Uh, a lot of times they're on alert because we have robotic employees that don't take days off. So, uh, sometimes we need them to do things on Saturdays and Sundays. So you, you do need that kind of team, uh, to, to continuously keep pressing forward. But what AI will do for, uh, me, uh, what AI will do for VWFS is uh, you've taken a lot of those tasks that are highly repetitive, highly standard. Um, we call them robotic tasks. So now people don't want to do them because it doesn't sound cool anymore. Uh, but AI gives you the ability to say, okay, now that I have mapped all of my processes to a certain level, where I have clear visibility of all of my value add and my critical process steps. So we have two categories that we map to. Uh, and what you have left after RPA are gateways, or many people will see them as diamonds or flow or, or decision boxes, as they will call them. 
Well, there's so many decisions that are being made in the background that are not transactional, but they're being made by people. AI gives us an ability to, to footprint. That's where we're going. But now we're going to say, okay, we've digitally footprinted everything that we can see that's RPA eligible. What we want to look at now is, is what is AI eligible. And then once you add up all that from all the process that you can visibly see uh, in whatever tool that you're using, uh, and you understand the cost and the time for those particular uh, steps in your overall opera operations, I'm betting that the, uh, the return on investment could far succeed uh, what RPA is doing today. So AI, uh, for my leader, my current president, uh, my current EVP, who I report to, uh, that is the, the charge for me and, and my organization is to start looking at now, what does that next journey look like? And I think even then, for me, AI will then start to replace where we have RPA at, because then the bots to me uh, and to our organization are temporary fixes for the most part. We're here at Tavis Addison from Volkswagen Financial Services talking about the keys to business process optimization during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to continue the conversation, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also listen to and watch past episodes of the show. So check it out at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, we're here in the midst of a conversation with Tavis Addison, who's a director of process improvement at Volkswagen Financial Services for North America. Uh, we're going to jump back into the conversation. We've got a lot more to get to, so let's jump back into it. Uh, what advice would you give to an organization that insists on keeping business process management or business process optimization work internal? Often businesses refuse to embrace external ideas and innovation resulting in the loss of valuable insights. So what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Let me think on that one. Uh, and I think it gets back to what you were talking about before about, you know, hiring consultants, experts, people that have that rich experience mm -hmm. having done this for multiple industries, organizations, et cetera. So how mm -hmm. do you, how do you balance that outside external focused mentality and experience with the need to build like you've done with your 11 team members, mm -hmm. um, building that internal competency to drive process improvements mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. How do you, you know, what, how do organizations find that right balance? Yeah. Uh, well, two things. <clears throat> and what I always like to do is not speak so much in theory, but speak more in what I have done. Now, number one, uh, 
if I could give a, a nugget out here is that your external uh, consultants or the in the industry experts, as I will call them, uh, your Eric Kimberlings, you know, your third stage, they're part of your team. So if you if they're introduced as part of your team, you know, maybe you're not paying them for everything that they're coming to do. Maybe you're not paying them at all. Right. Uh, but they're part of your team. They're, they're part of your mentorship. They're they're part of uh, how you came to the decision that has resulted in a win for that department or that organization. Now it, it changes the tone a little bit. Now they're not external. They're just not within our company. Right. It, it, they look at it differently. Uh, and then number two, uh, I have. uh I have a strong dependency, and I think it's the same for, for my leader. Uh, we have a strong belief and dependency that if we are only making decisions based on what we can see in our four walls, then we can't possibly have best in class approach. We must absolutely understand uh, what the experts are doing out, outside of our walls. And what, are, what, is, what is my best competitor doing, right? And right. this is something that I got from Shingo Shingo, right? One of our fathers of lean, the cost of not doing it, right? There's a cost to that. There's an absolute cost for not doing. So the more you don't look outside your four walls, you are absolutely losing something. And, and right. those are the things that we move by. But I think the first one is, is start introducing those individuals as part of your journey, part of your team. It's great. That's a great, um, it's great advice. I mean, both from a internally focused perspective, if you're driving process optimization internally within your, your own organization and you're trying to find outside help, you know, maybe not treating them as quote unquote outside help is one way right. to start. And then also if you're a, if you are that outside help, if you are a consultant or whatever that is, supporting a project through their change initiatives, just embedding yourself in the team and being part of the internal team, even though technically you're not, you can still act as more of a internal team member instead of a, the outside guy Absolutely. or gal coming in with all the answers. Absolutely. Do you find and that keep that- around, right? more... And keep them around, you know? Yeah. It's not always about uh, procuring at that moment. It's, it's also about um, always inviting them into multiple conversations. Uh, opportunities will come uh, and they don't need to be on every conversation, but the more they are involved in what you're doing when they can, uh, the trust builds from there. And then now others are asking um, for their names. Uh, and I think that's, yeah. that's the key. Break that, take that wall down. Yeah. Does that, mentality of of focus on treating them as an internal team member does that do you think that helps build more buy-in and ownership of the process improvements and process changes themselves absolutely With, without a doubt i think it's it's very key uh and uh i am very open i am uh i'm very forthcoming that you know i'm not i'm not the smartest i i don't I'm not. I'm not a mathematician. I'm. I, I'm not an engineer uh, by 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 trade, right? I'm a business guy. You know, I've got a master's. I've got multiple cert certifications, but I am constantly looking to surround myself with people who are better than I am, who know more than I do. So, if there's anything, I would pat myself on the back 
about is, is that I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty good at finding people smarter than me and surrounding myself with them. And then what happens is, is you become smaller and the external people become bigger and more important than you are. You're the messenger at that right. point. And you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be humble a little bit to do that and, and be, and be willing to not be the smartest person in the room. But I think at the end of the day, what's your objective? If your objective is to get more external, uh, more external ideas implemented uh, within your organization, then position them as the expert uh, at the table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes a ton of sense. Um, going through uh, some of these other, I'm just kind of scrolling through some of the questions that are coming in here. Um, so we talked about the biggest challenges. We had another question around the, the most challenging, um, the most challenging, maybe I'll spin this question a little bit differently than what we covered before, but this is from Muhammad on LinkedIn. He said, what are the most pros, the most challenging, what is the most challenging part of digital transformation to automate business processes? Maybe, you know, I know we talked about earlier, what is the most difficult part of business process optimization in general? And you talked about change management and that sort of thing, among other things. Um, in the context of a technology change though, does that change your, you so your perception of how, is there anything additional you'd add, I guess I'd say, in terms of difficulty of process improvement during a technology initiative versus a sort of a more process focused um, initiative, if that makes sense? Like if you're, in other words, if I'm an organization mm -hmm. going through a big technology initiative and I'm trying to figure out, okay, now I'm gonna figure out how to do process optimization within this broader technology initiative, are there mm -hmm. different sorts of challenges that happen in those cases versus organizations like yourself that are leading with the process first? I think with the digital transformation, uh, I, I still always go back and I might be one of those 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 few people or only people who uh, think it applies to whether it's digital, whether it's process, right? Or whether it's just people. Uh, for digital, I, I truly believe that we have to get off of our static way of documenting. Um, there is, if, if you go to, I don't care what company you go to, it's it's typically static. It's a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, it's Excel-based. It's, it's something that's outdated the moment you walk out the door, like a car you buy and you drive it off the parking lot. It's not worth it anymore. For digital transformation, I think that if we, the, the biggest challenge is being able to see the process together dynamically. And I don't know where other companies are at, but I, I do see out there that a lot of companies are, are requiring the knowledge of being able to map, as I call model, dynamically, meaning that you can apply metadata. Because for, for me, if I can look at a confirmed process and I can see the uh, the systems that are all impacted, if I make this change, it my speed to the next step is much faster than someone who's working with static documentation. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I know what my capabilities are. So we've worked with Gardner in the past, uh, and and don't get me wrong, I've I've been a, uh, I've been a customer of Gardner uh, back at Discover. The challenge I had was that it was always handed in a PDF or a PowerPoint. And, and again, you know, we're at a different day and age now. I need something dynamic, right? So I can change on the fly when there's a new California law that comes in that says I've got to change my process or else. 
right? And if you're going to do a digital transformation, in order to ensure that you're uh, not violating a reg, a reg Z uh, regulation, right? Reg Z. Uh, I'm not calling people too many times, but you want to keep that automated, then you need to be able to pivot quickly. And I think a lot of digital transformations, they take so long simply because we don't have an ability to see our process in a, in a, in, in a most expedient way and make decisions in a most expedient way to get to the next step. NASA's been doing it forever, right? They're racing other sides of the world to see who can get somewhere faster. They don't have the time to work with static, right? They 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 have to be dynamic. So it's just, I think what's happening is is we're becoming more technical in our digital transformations and the uh, insurance and financial services sectors, things like that. Um, that you have to think that way. Process visibility to me is number one. That is the number one sort of underbelly to how fast I can move versus another uh, versus another leader. Right. Yeah. Now, just to sort of bring this all full circle, then you know everything we've talked about so far. If if I'm an organization that is going through or about to go through either a technology initiative or just some sort of change initiative. Um, where do I start? You know, when it comes to business process optimization, how, what are some first steps to help us get started on, on the journey? What I would do is, is always start with assessing your process maturity. Uh, it, and, you know, depending on what company you go to, they may or may not understand or have a methodology around being able to assess their current process maturity. So I would say that's the first step. And then your process maturity level helps you to understand where you need to go next. And we have a measurable way in regards to what we're trying to get to process level three, trying to get all operations to a level three uh, by the end of this year. Uh, and it's it's a bear. It's not easy. Uh, and the second thing you want to be able to do is establish a model around uh, being able to score and rank your opportunities. Uh, many times we're, we're going after something and we're chasing something and we can't get the sign off and we can't get agreement simply because we, we're not we're not coming to the table with ROI that can uh, that shakes out. Right. It doesn't meet the sniff test. So if you have good process visibility, which goes back to the PML model, because uh, I was challenged on that is like, how do we make that measurable? How do you know when you're at level one, level two, level three? And why not five, four or five, right? We have all those answers. Right. And, and and just to share, just just to make sure I'm clear, the reason why we don't look at four or five, well, we can get to four, but the reason why we don't look at four or five is because when we look at four or five, for us, it's, it's reputational damage. It's financial damage. Um, it, it's things like that. But for an airline, or for healthcare, they need to be at a four or five because there's loss of loss of life, right? You you can't you can't be far off there. So your processes need to be very sound. And when you have that model in place, you can not only look at what cost you're avoiding, but you can look at how much time you're saving and put a dollar amount to it. So that's why I say start with that model. Start with a method and a model, and work with your finance team, and, and get the buy-in. And then the next thing that you want to do 
is make sure that everything you, you look at from the standpoint of improvement has some sort of a scoring and ranking system that fits with it. Yeah, that's, that's solid advice. I mean, that's a good way to, to start. I mean, it gives you a framework to sort of assess the current situation and also prioritize. Um, one thing I want to clarify though, when you talk about maturity, that's different though, as, as far as a first step to, to assess your current um, maturity of your processes, maturity does not equal optimized processes, right? Is that, or how Correct. would you, maybe you could just help us unpack that a little bit, um, if you don't mind, just mm -hmm. what's the difference between process maturity and process optimization? Sure. So for us, uh, and 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 let me be clear, process. I didn't make up process maturity, or I I I I'd probably be on a have been on your podcast a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> millions of but, books sold, all that stuff. <laughs> we we look at it. We put it in a in a standard operating procedure of what we call automation readiness. But when you think about process maturity, you're thinking about the whole of it all. You're not necessarily looking at one process. You're looking at where where am I at holistically in a department or an organization, but you start first with one process at a time, and process maturity level is 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 kind of simple on the surface. Number one, uh, are my processes centralized? Am I going in multiple different places because my stuff is scattered all over the room? For you know, lack of better words, uh, that is uh, equates to COPD cost for documentation. Uh, there's calculators you can actually Google out there. It's a real thing now. Uh, I think actually that's the new eighth waste to my understanding by the Lean Institute is not having your processes digitized uh, because it ties back to how much time are you spending looking for information on what your job is or what you need to do next or how you're gonna change the process. Uh, but process maturity level and, and its most simple way of thinking is number you're at level one if your processes are all centralized. You're at level two if your processes are all digitally mapped. Mm. And you have um, uh, they're centralized in one place where you can get to all the links where it links out to your, you know, where your sources of truth are, where your other SOPs are at. You can go to one place if you're looking at it from a digital standpoint. And then process maturity level three is where you are not only centralized, they're all digitally mapped, but three means that I also have links to my risk and controls. Because mm. then now you're making your auditors happy. So we're not just trying to uh, get to a certain PML level for the sake of process improvement. We're trying to get to a certain PML level so that we can stop depending on documentation, so that we can stop uh, uh, doing the dog and pony show to get ready for an audit. We don't have to get ready anymore. We're always dressed because it's in a dynamic place. It's always centralized. And then when it changes, uh, then I can see something that changed in Eric's process and my process and I get alerts. So all of that extra effort in a static environment goes away. And that's what we're trying to do to get to PML, what we call PML level three. And that for us means that you, and if you are not there in a particular process, meaning that that process is not digitally mapped and doesn't have systems and controls in there, and it doesn't link to the dependencies, then you are not ready to automate. Mm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I think that process maturity um, categorization or approach is something that's really important to understand because it is it is different than optimization and it's it's sort of more of a 
not a, an assessment of how optimized your processes are, but how mature they are. I think those are two different, yes. you know, two different dimensions that are worth unpacking or just differentiating between. Okay. Thank you, Dave. It's a great conversation. And thank you to the audience for the great questions around business process improvement and business process optimization, all that good stuff. Um, thank you for, for uh, the great conversation there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll we'll debrief on some of the conversation here with Tavis, and then we'll also uh, shift gears and bring on our next guest, who's going to be Mitch Otteson from the Third Stage Consulting Team. He's going to be on talking about the platform trend that we're seeing in the ERP uh, software market, so be sure to stick around for that. First, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kylie Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. So, uh, Kyler, we just had Tavis on the show to talk about business process optimization and the keys to business processes during digital transformation. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Well, I think, you know, obviously great conversation and so much insight. Um, I, I think what really stood out to me is the overall integration of kind of the team approach when it comes to utilizing an outside source for insight or the team approach when it comes to kind of servant leadership from a client perspective. So I thought that was really healthy when you go in and do something as vulnerable as look at business processes, right? Because it can be a situation in which you come in and you uh, help through these work streams and these optimizations, but these are processes. A lot of times you have tenured employees around, which you kind of talked about. Um, organizational change management, but also that the business has established. So it's it's a hard thing to come in and, and optimize a new way of thinking in the organization. Definitely healthy practice, but I love Tavis's approach to really making sure that you're integrated as a member of the team of the organization and how really important that that team mentality is. Um, and I, that's very similar to our mission here at Third Stage. So I, I think that really stood out to me as something that is just such a healthy practice when it comes to working with clients or other organizations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and finding the right internal and, and external resources that are going to help you round out that team or create that team that's going to give you the best chance to succeed. 
and the honesty and purity around like really what is going to be best for the business as opposed to what's going to be best for the consultant. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, is a great brand match between um, Volkswagen um, financial services and also third stage, which is why the conversation makes so much sense. Um, I also think that the overall understanding of business processes and the unique needs to the organization, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, a strand of DNA to the organization. It is so unique in the fact that it not only um, is really what makes the business exist in that operation, but also what makes the business unique. So really understanding that and having that visibility to your needs um, from a business process management standpoint is going to be really the first step. We call it phase zero, but really the first step to understanding what the optimization areas are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I like that framework that he that he laid out as far as the mm-hmm. process maturity and the uh, prioritization of processes. I thought that was a great thread in the conversation. In fact, I told, you know, I was talking or thinking about it after the fact, and it, it seemed like uh, in hindsight, I would ask that process maturity question a lot sooner and maybe yeah. spend some more time on that piece of it. But I thought that was a good thread that he, that he uh, alluded and touched on late in the conversation. And I, I appreciate how you clarified, right, as well to say mature processes aren't always good processes, right? They yeah. just happen to be what you've yeah. always done. And the understanding of there is new areas of um, optimization and how you both touch on the workforce. There's kind of these meeting of the two minds where you have digital natives in the workforce meeting the employees that are operational natives. Um, so that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but it takes a lot of really mindful approach to make sure that that's going to work together to create synergy and positivity around business strategies. Yeah. 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 In, in other words, the, you can have mature bad processes or mature inefficient processes or mature broken processes, whatever, um, doesn't, and I thought that was a good clarification he made, you know, as far as mature does not equal optimized. It was two, they're two different dimensions. So. Absolutely. And as I always like to do, you know, give you ideas for next steps with our amazing guests, I think a workshop might be in order with him. You know, I see yeah. a visualization of a whiteboard and both of you kind of giving us the idea of of maybe like breaking down a case study, as you both kind of mentioned, um, specific client work. But this is one of those where the concepts would be cool to be kind of visualized in that conversation. Um, and I think that that's, it's, it's something that... Um, you know, I'd, I'd buy that coaching program definitely from the two of you because there's just so much technical pieces there, but from a really unbiased and overall helpful advisor standpoint. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with you on that. That, that would be a, that'd be a fun way to unpack it too, to kind of go take some of the conceptual stuff we talked about in that conversation and go demonstrate um, how it's done. I think we have a, we have a video or two on the third stage YouTube channel that does that. You know, we have a couple of our consultants that walk through some process improvement exercises, don't we? Oh yeah. And you know, I love a good whiteboard. I'm a sucker for that as a, you know, a visual technologist. I'm on, on myself. There's only so much theory you can talk about and then, you know, demonstrate, but you have a few of those on your YouTube channel. We have a few of those on our YouTube channel, which are both great resources. Um, and I know our next guest, Mitch is, you know, definitely someone who's been involved in a lot of that process work as one of our top operational specialists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be fun to have him back on the show and, uh, honing in on this, this topic a little bit more in a little bit more detail. We're going to talk about 
the ERP platform approach to digital transformation and how that's becoming an emerging trend in 2024 and what that might mean to you and your digital transformation initiatives. So we're going to have Mitch, who's a director at Third Stage Consulting. He'll be on the show here uh, in just a moment. We're going to first, though, take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. While we're living in, let me tell you. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and uh, you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm excited for our next guest, Mitch Otteson, who has been on the show before. You may recognize his name and face, but he's uh, Director of, of Strategy and Transformation at Third Stage Consulting. And uh, we wanted, uh, Kyler, you're going to guide us through a conversation here where we talk about the ERP platform approach and what that means as far as trends in 2024 and what it might mean to your digital transformation in, in 2024 and beyond. Um, so tell us a little bit about what to expect in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm definitely really excited for our 2024 trend series, which we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks um, with our team here to kind of see not only what are we hearing as buzzwords in the industry, right, but how does that actually affect the actual work that we're seeing um, with some of our biggest clients. So with that, I'm happy to welcome Mitch, and we're going to talk a little bit about the ERP platform approach today. So welcome, Mitch, to the show. Appreciate it. Um, so my name is Mitch Austin. I'm director of transformation here at Third Stage. Um, my my whole role is really to um, connect with our clients when they first reach out to Third Stage and understand where they're at in their transformation journey. Um, everyone seems to be coming in at a at a different place. So what we try and do at Third Stage is really meet our clients where they're at um, and to help to build a roadmap and a plan for how they can get to that third stage that you hear us talk about so often. So. I'm responsible for understanding, diagnosing, and then helping to build a team to help to execute um, what it is that we can do to help you get to that uh, transformational third stage. And that we're going to learn from today, that really understanding that diagnosing, prescribing um, type of stage in your project planning. So we talk a lot, and I'm going to kind of introduce some pre-work, as I always do for our audience. We talk a lot about the importance of this phase zero planning and understanding the approach. And before we dive in, I want to offer our audience our phase zero planning checklist and mini-series. So I'm going to pop that up on the screen here. You can scan the QR code um, if you're watching the video or if you're in our audio format, you can get it in our description and episode notes so that you can really go through. It's a checklist that Mitch and our senior leadership team have put together to really make sure that you're checking all the boxes and effectively planning and executing your digital transformation. Because we know, and you know better than anyone, Mitch, in your restoration work, that usually about 78% of digital transformations fail. And what failure means to each client is different. But this checklist and mini series that actually take you through each step 
kind of showcases the planning piece of that. So I highly recommend that. The other thing I'll mention before we really get into this conversation, as always, our mission at Third Stage is to drive conversation. So I highly encourage you to join the conversation in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. These questions are not just for Mitch, they're for you as well. So they can really drive that transparent conversation around what is platform ERP strategies. So with that, Mitch, what the heck is platform ERP strategies? <laughs> uh, other than a really good uh, hashtag for when we're doing some searches, um, I, I, I think of platform ERP uh, really as being an, a technology ecosystem. Um, you know, when you think of all that goes into an ecosystem and how everything needs to work harmoniously, um, it's thoughtful design and consideration for what your users are doing and the best way to go about doing things. And what we're seeing in today's environment is that there's a ton of overlap in tools. There's so many tools that can do so many different things. And so you really have to take your time, take a step back and understand what's the right tool for the job? Where does the, you know, the source of truth come from? And how can my other systems rely on that source of truth to make informed decisions and data for my users? For sure. Absolutely. And when we talk about kind of that concept, I really want to dig into like kind of what's right for you in a little bit, but just going into kind of our definitions, ERP platform strategies, it sounds like that's that approach is pretty much the standardized approach for every project. Is that correct? Absolutely. If you're doing things in a silo when you are considering ERP work, uh, in my opinion, you're doing it wrong. You need to be considering the other fringe systems that um, your ERP is connecting to and relying on or possibly passing data to and making sure that it's an end-to-end -end experience and not just you know, living in this one small vacuum. For sure. And that, that seems to be kind of a main trend when we talk about in 2023, I feel like it was the year of best of breed. You know, we talked about that. That was really kind of the, the main, um, I guess, comparison between core ERP and best of breed. But it seems as though we've kind of moved into where they can live together in one quote unquote ecosystem. Um, right. And really where it's not, it's not best for breed, best of breed. It's almost best for you, right? Yeah. As a business. I would completely agree with that. You know, it, when you look at some of the name brand tools that are out there, there's a reason that everyone isn't running Salesforce for their CRM. That's you know, for so many years, those two tools were just synonymous with one another, where if someone says Salesforce, you know, they're talking CRM, but um, you know, that's not the way it is anymore. The right tool for the right job is, is more important than having you know, the name brand or the best tool um, that's out there. You can accomplish a lot of things with you know, right sizing and finding the right tool for what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, all very good insights, Mitch. And I think the thing that we've really seen in kind of the marriage between these two approaches is that idea of platform ERP, but then really going to that deeper level of defining what is really right for you. So let's dive into understanding that approach. When does that really start in the project timeline of knowing what your approach needs to be as far as technology? Yeah, it's a good question. And for, for my projects, I like to get that started as soon as possible. When we when we start an engagement with a client, we typically start by trying to understand their current state and their ideal future state. It starts with the strategic roadmap and the um, executive conversations on where it is you want to go, and then understanding um, 
the flows and how you want the end-to-end -end process to look and then deciding you know where the handoff should take place because an end-to-end -end flow likely doesn't just take place in your ERP. It makes it as far as the ERP can go and then it hands off to another system and vice versa. Um, what we're finding is that that handoff can take place in multiple places along the way um, and it can be done effectively. So trying to figure out where is the optimum place for that handoff to take place um, to ensure that you keep clean master data and that you're actually then setting up your other system to do what it does well. Um, so it's finding that balance. Absolutely. I mean, balance is, is key really to understanding that, but also you hit on something that I think is so important when we talk about the platform ERP approach and that's work streams and business processes. So we see a lot of times a huge red flag is when a client comes to us with broken or unhealthy processes and they want a technology to kind of heal that. Can you talk a little bit about the dangers of unhealthy processes and integrating new technology, especially when we see new vendors in the AI field, in the kind of niche friend system field, really push this narrative that I can fix your broken business with my technology? So it's a great question. And we see that so much in the, in the vendor space today where, um, you know, it's the silver, the silver bullet that'll fix all of your issues. And, and what we found is that um, really the ripple effect of implementing some of those solutions can create more problems than what you had before. Um, so by not going through the end to end process and thinking about the logical uh, place for that handoff can really get you into a lot of trouble. It can make your master data a mess um, and it can really have your user confused on where is actual the source of truth and what information is right because you're getting different information uh, that can conflict with each other. So it sounds like really the trend for this should almost be establishing healthy business processes in order to enabling that technology to be able to do what it needs to do. We talk a lot about kind of the definition of artificial intelligence, especially on kind of the trending side. And it is just that it is artificial. Like we talk about what is an, the definition of artificial. It's not real, right? Intelligence. So it doesn't work the way that a human brain would work. Right. And so what we need to talk about, I think, in that is how do we ensure that our business as a holistic view is healthy enough for that interoperability? And I know you work a lot with integrations, interoperability. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the importance of making sure that your data has a healthy kind of network? work to travel through in order to make strategic decisions? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, first and foremost, I would say, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, the AI, machine learning, all of those things. I think it is uh, a lot of where we are going, but in order to do so, you need to have a solid foundation. And if you try and just solve your problems with implementing these complex algorithms, you're going to have more confused users than you're going to receive benefit out of it. What you need to do is have a solid business process where you can strategically insert um, some of these algorithms to get the right outputs. And if you don't have the clean data and good historical data to be able to support these things, you're, you're gonna, it's garbage in, garbage out. You're going to end up getting um, a mess because you didn't do what you need to with establishing the solid foundation.
Absolutely. And that solid foundation, we've kind of established that that either target operating model, current state assessment, those operational efficiencies really need to be healthy. So when yep. you're looking at in implementing a new technology or an ERP, how do you ensure that you understand the nuances of those integrations? Because I can only imagine that's a, a huge complexity when looking at new technology. All right, I have my processes. I have, you know, a technology that I'm considering. How do I ensure that they match? It really is going back and getting to basics and understanding where does the, the actual data of the field come from? Where is the source of truth? And then what are the manipulations that is done to that data downstream? And is that the right thing to do? Um, I always talk to my clients about establishing that, that source of truth and understanding um, you know, where data is coming in and, and when you are most confident about it. Oftentimes it's the different slicing and dicing that has taken place, uh, you know, three, four, five layers away from where that actual raw data comes from that is the source of truth. And that's the figure that's confusing people. So being able to trace your data back to where it originates from and making sure that that is clean and then you're fixing it from there is huge. Absolutely. And and really understanding, as you said, that source of truth, but really, really, you know, where is your data coming from? What does it look like? And understanding that master data management is going to be a significant pillar of your strategy because interoperability cannot happen without healthy data. So that's, you know, good data hygiene is going to be one of those phase zero planning pieces that we talk a lot about. And that's a huge job, especially oh, yeah. for our small to mid-tier organizations that are working on scaling or that have had kind of a piecemeal approach to their technology and they're kind of ready to graduate into something um, a bit more sophisticated. Um, so that's that's definitely so important. Yeah, a lot of those organizations, we found they kind of, you know, will put band-aids or duct tape onto things to kind of keep the business operations going. And when you're talking about pumping a, you know, a lot of data that a lot of these algorithms need through your pipes, um, we speak in analogies a lot. So this one is a plumbing one. If your plumbing is held together with tape, you're going to have leaks and hopefully that leak doesn't cause a bigger problem. Um, so it's really finding the source of, of where that issue is coming from. We're here with Mitch Otteson talking about the platform approach to ERP implementations in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to dive into with Mitch, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you, or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. We're here with Mitch Otteson, who's a director of strategy and transformation here at Third Stage Consulting. And we're talking about the platform approach and trend that we're seeing in 2024 and beyond for ERP implementations and digital transformation. So let's jump back into the conversation. We talked a lot about the the trend of those leaks in those kind of SMB type industry or businesses that lead to really critical cybersecurity breaks. We used to see things like we covered in a few weeks back, the big cybersecurity hijack in the Concedos in Vegas. And we, we've seen those on a huge high profile, but it seems as though we've moved to cybersecurity issues in more to those small to mid tier size businesses. And that's a real um, issue within their technology portfolio and strategic approach. Yeah, it's everywhere. And, and you're seeing that hackers are getting more sophisticated and they're doing it in a way that they can target these small mid businesses. Um, and it, it's tough because you have to make these strategic decisions about, you know, where's the right place to invest in into my tech stack. And security is one that gets left behind a lot of times because people think that they're too small to to really be on anyone's radar. Yeah. And a lot of times we, we think we have this, it's a lot like artificial intelligence. We don't really understand. So we vilify this unknown technology. A lot of times pop culture leads into that and how we see it represented in the media. And it's the same with cybersecurity. A lot of times we see cybersecurity breaks for the most, um, you know, integrity-based intents. They had no idea, your workforce, that this was an opening or a leak. It's not, you know, this nefarious bad actor that wants to, you know, office space your entire organization, right? It's someone that didn't realize because there was lack of communication and education in that operability strategy. Yeah, what we find is it's usually done with the best of intentions. People have this can-do attitude, and they find themselves working around the structure and you know, around the process that has been established in order to get something done. And you know, instead of addressing the symptom, we want to go to the cause of what is the cause of that, and how can we prevent people from extracting that data and manipulating it and emailing it out or posting it onto um, you know a web server that really has you know terrible authentication or, you know, something along those lines. I mean, uh, we can be controlling your environment a whole lot better uh, by staying in your systems. Absolutely. And and I think um, a piece of that as we go into understanding what that looks like is all about that key awareness um, and understanding what that looks like. You talk a lot about your source of truth. Well, understanding where that truth may have those those uh, leaks or those areas in which could be opportunities for cybersecurity breaches. So I'm hoping you can kind of take us through a pros and cons scenario in this next piece and talking about kind of what does it look like to, to choose a core ERP versus what does it look like to choose maybe a more of a modular-based approach, open source, or best of breed? So let's focus on some of the pros of a core traditional ERP system. What are some pros of that approach? Yeah, I would say some of the pros that come in with that is that um, the integrations tend to be a lot more simple um, because the 
different modules are designed to work together, the flow of information is just one thing that you, I want to say you don't have to worry about it, but it, it comes as part of the package. So a lot of these have single databases, which allow that information to flow freely without needing to establish an integration. So that's the big pro that I see in my mind. And so it sounds like what we're looking at at a core ERP might be things like less internal maintenance needed on the IT side. Yep. So that might be a consideration, right? And these maybe these data pathways are already established for you. The integrations are already built. Does that sound kind yep. of... Integrations are already built and you're, you're on a common data model. So you're absolutely right that it is... Uh, less maintenance for your IT team to keep up with because your forms and structures all are going to be, for the most part, consistent across you know, the different modules within that tool. And on this series, we're actually going to talk about IT labor shortages. So that's a huge trend that we look at at 2024 is making sure you have those efficiencies yeah. um, and understand, again, that awareness key of what does your system actually take to maintain and, and continue to be healthy and performing to maximize that ROI, which is a huge spend um, around your ERP system. So can you talk about um, some, on the other side of that, some pros to maybe a best of breed approach or a modular based approach? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've seen a lot in the CRM space. There are a lot of vendors that are doing some really cool things um, and they're doing, you know, they have low code solutions. Um, they have things where really a business user can be you know, driving the, the changes and manipulations that they need to see without changing the code. And so they're able to do that and you're able to avoid having, um, you know, a system administrator or a dedicated IT resource um, to, to make reports, to make workflow changes, things of that nature. Um, and so those are things that you, when you're in a traditional ERP setting, uh, you don't necessarily want those low code changes because it's not as, you know, heavy lifting as, as what is needed. Um, and so it's just not a good fit. And so what you see is with these, some of these, uh, you know, these fringe solutions and coming through and creating that ecosystem, um, you can solve for some of the labor shortages by adopting one of these systems and integrating it with your ERP. Absolutely. And, th and that makes a lot of sense for specific businesses. What comes to mind, I'm wondering your feedback on it, is maybe a business that has a specialized manufacturing um, within their vertical or a, a specific competitive advantage. We see a lot of businesses that are like, I want to customize, I want to customize. And a lot of times on those core our ERP, that often isn't something we recommend because right. of the complexities that it adds to the system. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's another really good space where we see um, in manufacturing some of the ERPs, it's better to just keep them to what they do well, which is a lot of the financials, and then to go and get an MES or something like that, where it can handle some of these more complicated, complex manufacturing um, routes and and uh, and bombs and work orders and everything that needs to go into making a, a more complicated product or more complicated runs. Um, you know, let the specialized technology help your business processes there and then pass the key information back to your ERP to capture what happened and what the impact to inventory was. 
Absolutely. And if you're not familiar with an MES, no worries. Head over to our YouTube channel and we have not only our top MES systems, if you are heavy manufacturing, you want to look at that, but also what is an MES system? Because those are always good things to understand. And that's the definition of our conversation today is the platform approach. Say you are a heavy manufacturing business or heavy food and beverage distribution, there's vertical specific applications that can always enhance what that competitive advantage is. Because the balance that you talked about earlier, Mitch, is really understanding what are your needs of the business Mm -hmm. and where can the technology meet me without losing our true identity and strategy as a business is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the values um, that we bring to the table in partnering with us. You know, I had a client that was, was big in mining. And they, they thought that they needed a mining specific solution, that if it wasn't, you know, a mining specific solution, that it wouldn't work. Um, they found that manufacturing and mining, the way that they did it was very similar to one another. So they were actually able to take a lot of those workflows and repurpose them. And they, for their business, more of that, you know, all in one rather than the platform approach made sense for them. And we were helped that we were able to help guide them in that direction based on understanding their business needs and the requirements. That's not a good fit for everyone, but being able to get down to what it is you're looking for and distilling it and take actionable steps is, is huge to have a partner for. Absolutely. And that's such a great case study Um, and shameless plug for our case studies. If you haven't heard them, they are on our YouTube channel and our website, but that always is just helpful. Like, especially if you're in an industry like mining, that really is specific, Um, like aerospace and, and defense. That's very specific, those areas. And a lot of times that's why industries come to us is because we have no other goals besides making sure you achieve your ROI on new technology. Um, So great point there. We're here with Mitch Otteson talking about the platform approach to ERP implementations in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to dive into with Mitch, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Growing. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 154. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. We're here with Mitch Otteson, who's a Director of Strategy and Transformation here at Third Stage Consulting, and we're talking about the platform approach and trend that we're seeing in 2024 and beyond for ERP implementations and digital transformation. So let's jump back into the conversation. So let's talk about some of the cons. Um, I started with the positive, moving to the negative. Let's talk about some of the drawbacks of choosing a core ERP system. Yeah, absolutely. I think... You know, some, it depends on which system you're looking at, but when you look at the really good all-in-ones, um, some of them can be expensive. And so, you know, looking at, you know, 
a few large functions of your business in order to find one that does a good job in your finance and accounting, your CR, your CRM, your uh, manufacturing, you know, whatever your business needs. Um, it's hard to find one that's well-rounded that isn't very expensive. Absolutely. And that's a huge consideration, right, is budget and really understanding budget, but not only that total cost of ownership. And that's a huge thing, especially as you know, that we've seen with the um, move to SaaS-based products too, is really understanding how much does this cost, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm also a big fan of the SaaS model, but it it comes with... um, you know, a lot of carrying costs where you used to be able to purchase one time an on-premise solution and have it for 20 years. Now you need to pay for that subscription over and over again for the next 20 years. And so it changes the way that you think about your technology and if it makes sense to continue with a large investment like that or to go a little bit smaller and more nimble. Absolutely. And, you know, that that's a, a huge piece of that. Um, and then so let's talk about some of the pros, which I assume you might say cost for um, the modular or best to be breed um, based approach. What are some pros around that? Well, you know, w- what I found is that you really have the ability to right size the different solutions for that area. So, um, if you have very simple CRM needs, you might be overpaying with a very well-rounded ERP solution that has a CRM module. You can, I, I feel confident that a lot of companies can um, do their CRM functions in a much more lower cost application and integrate it rather than relying on a, a potentially very expensive module that, that does the same thing. Um, you also have to think about specialization. Um, you know, we talked about you know, these companies that are coming up, there's a reason that there are thousands of vendors out there. People focus on one area and they get really good at it. Um, and so when you look at some of these large ERPs that say we do everything all under one umbrella, um, you know, I have questions about how well they do absolutely everything compared to um, some of these niche solutions. Absolutely. And and a lot of times they haven't been around that long, right? So maybe you did everything really well for one client, but right. um, so it's, you know, that's why the evaluation process and those demos are really critical. Another thing you can find on our YouTube channel that Mitch helps us with a lot is just understanding how do you maximize your demos and really understanding what do you want to talk about versus what does the vendor want to talk about and making sure those requirements, those demonstrations are a good use of your time. Um, because like a lot of things, those can go in a different direction where you want to make sure that it's the right fit for your technology and your business. Absolutely. So one piece I want to unpack on this, because, you know, I can't go an episode without talking about the people side, but I think a huge piece of the platform approach is we talk a lot about the integrations, the technologies, the work streams, the healthy processes. How important is considering your people side, your workforce, your culture, your user adoption, all those people strategies within this platform approach. I'm really glad that you went there and and that we're very much on the same wavelength as far as looking at the people aspect of of digital transformation. Um, When you look at a core ERP, one of the benefits that you see is that um, it should be a common user experience across the board. The way that you navigate, the way that pages look and feel, some of the nuances of the technology um, are similar from module to module. So um, I do find that those tend to be a little bit easier to adopt, especially if you have 
folks that are um, you know, navigating the system across multiple different functions. So that's definitely a pro that I see. Um, you know, another way to look at it, um, you know, user-specific type of scenarios um, where you have to look at you know, what, is, what is my team looking for from a user experience? If you have a team that is you know, manufacturing, typically is a little bit less um, nice on the eyes from a UI experience compared to some of the other technologies out there, is that okay? Or do you have a workforce that really needs to have that slick interface to respond to the technology? Um, it, it's an important factor that, that definitely needs to be considered. Yeah, the dashboard phase. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants a beautiful dashboard. Who doesn't love a gorgeous dashboard, right? I'm guilty. But sometimes, are those dashboards accurate? Should be the the true question. Um, and are they nice. helping us? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think that that people side of it, not only from the pros and cons for the different approach, but also understanding that we there is kind of you know as we talk about it. Uh, a strategy here where we talk about people, process, and technology. And we do that in a hierarchy. If your people and your organization is not ready for a new technology platform, portfolio, ERP, best of breed, AI, any sort of technology, it's not going to be successful within your business. So, you know, that's something that we we look at exploring from a holistic point of view in that phase zero planning checklist is really talking about that. Um, so can you talk about the the importance of kind of assessing your organization, the hard metrics around the science behind making sure that your people and organizational culture is ready for new technology? Yeah. Well, and, and first, you know, I have to give our team a little bit of a shameless plug here. Um, it's so much easier for a third party to come in and to get an accurate picture of what's going on with your people uh, because you get an unfiltered response. So many times when you know there's internal transformation teams, you you find teams, you know, kind of giving the answers that you know people want to hear or worried about the brushback of or the blowback of of saying things the way that they are. Um, so if you think that you might be in one of those environments where you can't, your users won't give you an accurate, honest answer um, and not look at things through rose colored glasses, working with us is a, is a huge opportunity that will highly benefit you. Um, what we'll do is we'll look at, I always tell my clients, you know, change management starts day one and it starts in the way that um, people respond to the questions, their body language, the way that um, you know, how excited they are, how you can see that they're dreading coming in and talking to the consultants, kind of like we're in office space and we're talking to the Bobs. Uh, you know, it's, it's those types of things that help us to inform the, the strategy that we put together. Are we expecting there to be intentional resistance where one team doesn't want to give up their spreadsheets? Is it unintentional where, you know, people are excited, but they don't, know that they want to make a change because they've done it this way for so long. Um, there's so many different variables that go into the change plan um, that, that we help to craft for our clients that we do put together a very comprehensive strategy. And I, I don't know how you do this work without doing that. 
Absolutely. My favorite meetings to sit in on are what I call the WTF moment of where we present our organizational assessment to the executive teams who are so pumped and, you know, again, have those best of intentions Mm -hmm. um, for giving their team new tools. And they have truly no idea, especially on the department level, what areas of resistance that we may have uncovered or areas in which they're they're not aware that there's some sort of cultural level to understanding that. And that's going to be critical to having that knowledge as power in looking at a platform approach to ERP, no matter what the technology is, because it could be the, the brightest, shiniest, sparkliest, most intuitive technology with the most beautiful dashboards on the world. But if your team is not prepared to consume it or use it or feel as though they have the ability to understand it, then it's going to birth fear. And fear birth is operational disruption. Yeah. I mean, those meetings are a lot of times fun, but sometimes they, they're tough. Um, we see that you know, there are leadership challenges, too, that we have to navigate. You know, A lot of times users need to be empowered, and that comes from a leadership decision where all these fields have been locked down, and you know, now I have this perfect page, but there's no data on there because of a decision to not, you know, trust my people. And so, you know, we, we impact and influence change all the way from the leadership level down to the end users. And that comprehensive approach is so important to make sure that uh, your transformation is successful. hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation on so many levels. Um, I always close out our trend series with asking you, what do you think a main trend for digital transformation or digital enterprise operations is going to be for 2024? You know, I think a big thing is going to be data aggregation tools. So the ability to take tool to take information out of different systems and compile them into a standard um, common data model and then to be able to report on them. So um, some call them data lakes. There's you know a bunch of different terms that are floating out there between fabric and some of these other things where uh, I think people are realizing that technology is very expensive and rather than buying new technology, there may be better ways to clean up your data, extract your data and to move your data uh, in a way that doesn't require you to invest in a whole brand new technology. And that's actually such a good point because a lot of times we see clients that come to us and because we're technology agnostic and we only have a contract with the client, we don't care what you buy or what you buy as long as it's, um, it's going to help your business. We often recommend no technology and some process work and things like that, right? Oh, yeah. Sometimes making no decision or, you know, cleaning things up before you make a decision is the better way to go. And I, I would much rather you, um, you know, write your own ship, get your ducks in a row, than uh, just jump in and hope that a transformation will fix some of the issues uh, with your leaky pipes. All right. Thank you, Mitch. That was a great conversation. And uh, I thought that was, you had some great questions for Mitch and, and some good clarifying points you made, Kyler. Um, yeah, it was a great, great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I always love to talk to Mitch because he's one of those unicorns in the industry that is an operational, very technical specialist, but also as he talked a lot about in that conversation, the importance of people-centric strategies or organizational change management um, within looking at what's the best technology for your organization. So Eric, I know that you, you know, you and, and Mitch, obviously, and the rest of the leadership team here talk a lot about kind of that best for 
for you type of approach. But something I wanted to bring to you that Mitch had kind of talked about was that that source of truth, as he called it, or the main kind of data source. He talked about when I asked him at the end, what do you think is the top trend for 2024? He talked about this data aggregation strategies that needs to be kind of the forefront of understanding that. And I thought I'd bring that to you. Do you really think that is going to be really the main core strategy to digital transformation? moving forward is understanding your data and making it actionable? It Yeah, it is. And I think we have to also, to go a step further, restructure our expectations around what data means. In the past, we I think we viewed data as sort of a static, historic sort of a thing where we could report our profit and loss statements and you know generate whatever reports our higher-ups might request within the organization. But now we have to think of data not only as that, but also something that can inform decision-making and look ahead to the future. So it's sort of mixing data and, and the value of data with emerging technologies that can help you, you know, predictive analytics and artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, the robotic process automation trend, all that, all these different technologies that rely on solid data to do more than just provide historical context, but also give you a, a path to point to the future and make better decisions. So I think um, that's really the first step in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, what a great conversation um, from both of our guests today. I think we got a great foundation and strategies from one and then kind of a look forward to what you can do as an organization from a process automation or a optimization standpoint, but also understanding how your technology fits in that and what that roadmap really looks like moving forward. So I think so far, I dare say it, this is my favorite episode of 2024. Oh, well, that's that's good. I guess uh, maybe a smaller sample size to work with, but it, it, I'll take it. You know, it's still number one is number one. So yeah, we'll take there it. we go. There we go. Well, good. Well, thank you for uh, for guiding us through that conversation with Mitch. And thank you to Mitch and, and Tavis for being on the show with us here today. And uh, thank you as always, Kyler, for being part of the show and to the audience for uh, asking the great questions along the way. And I uh, want to thank the audience in advance for sharing this podcast with other colleagues and people you think might be interested. We'd love to get the the word out and spread this information to as many people as uh, you think it will help. So um, that's the, probably the biggest way you can help us is by promoting the podcast to your networks and, and sharing it with, with your community. So uh, thank you everyone for being involved here today. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control.
156 of transformation ground control. Ah, it's not 156, 154.